0: Kind of get used to having this little thing on my ear. So I know some of you are probably wondering how I managed to trick Pastor Steven and let me up, but <laughs> it's kind of late for that now. Um, <laughs> I'm already here, so there we go. So I wanted to talk to you guys, um, I guess, about some things that have been in my heart, uh, probably for the past couple of of years, really, um, and especially the past couple of months. You know, we've seen a lot of discord worldwide, but um, really between people groups, especially in our country. And I think this is especially true when we start thinking about racial and political divisions and um, all these different groups of people and, and how we kind of align. And um, sometimes it really seems like real and true reconciliation, at least in the most idealistic sense, just seems to be so far away. And you know, I was just thinking about these things, but I thought about Christians and, and, and just kind of how I believe that we are called um, to, to serve a higher purpose. Um, that we serve a God that is greater than our differences. And, and I believe that the book of Acts is a testament to that. And so I'll be talking about um, community. I don't really have a, a, a name of the message, but that's what I'll be sharing about. And so what a community is, right, is a community is a group. Um, of people that share common characteristics or interests. Could be people that have something in common um, in some geographic sense, maybe some distinct characteristics, right? Could be people of the same faith. And so that's what I'll be referring to, is is people that um, are of the same faith, the body of believers, Christians. And so some of the major points that I'll be talking about, one, communities are committed The Christian community in the early church was meant to be diverse and for all nations. And even in their differences, they were wholly committed to the gospel, and they were wholly committed to each other as well. The second point, communities can have problems. Problems where people break the word. Um, And while our relationship with God is of a personal nature, the work of Christ and the work of the gospel is the work of the church. And thereby, it's communal in nature. and so, sin, even personal sin, can have a negative impact on a group that's just larger than ourselves. And then the third point regardless of the differences that may exist in the community or within a body of believers, God still has a purpose and a plan for his church. Amen? So, a little bit of background, since I'll be coming out of Acts. Um, you know, the full name of Acts, we often just call it Acts, but it's actually the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and it 's unique because it describes the ministry of the apostles. So it was written by the, the book by Luke sometimes after the, the Gospel of Luke was written. And some of the key themes in the, in the book itself, um, one is that the witness is worldwide, inclusive of all people it 's guided by God, and it really just details the explosive growth of the church. So the, the, the whole book is, is pretty interesting
1: and we 'll mainly be
0: examining um, chapters four, verse 32 through Chapter 5, verse 16. But I want to give some context and some of the the chapters that kind of come before that um, that lead into our main passage. So, starting in chapter 1, the way that the Acts kind of starts, it opens with the 40 day period after crucifixion in which Jesus appeared on many different occasions to strengthen believers before he leaves. He lets the church know that the Holy Spirit is coming and that the witness will go to all the, ends of the ver- all the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I'm going to be uh, looking at the ESV just to confuse you. I think the NIV is on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until the end of the earth. All right. So Jesus gives this big charge, you know, um, you're going to receive my spirit. It's going to go all to the ends of the earth. And then what happens? He leaves. Bam, Jesus is gone. <laughs> and what does he leave behind? Acts 1, verse 15. At the time, there were about 120 believers in this, in this little area. So, I mean, it's, it's basically our church, right? We, we, this is all we have left. Jesus is gone. So, Then chapter 2 opens with the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and gave them the ability to speak in other languages, also known as the gift of tongues. And there was criticism, right? Um, and, and, and people were, were mocking them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 13, people mockingly said they were filled with new wine, right? So they must have been drinking something fermented to, to, to be able to speak in these different languages. But then Peter preaches a sermon and says that the gospel is for everyone. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 39 for the promise is for you and for all your children and all who are far off, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then immediately after he preached, there were 3,000 converts that were added to the initial body of believers, um, Acts 2, um, verse 41, at one time. And so there just began this explosive growth of the church. So in Acts chapter 2, um, verses 42 through 47, um, think that these were were pretty impactful verses that actually are talking about the people of the church of this time. And so this is what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Right? So in verse 43, um, you know, they were all these miracles and, 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 and that were being performed <coughs> in the church. But after the miracles that were being performed by the apostles or the leaders of the church, it also said that um, in 44 and 45, all of the people believed and they were together. Um, and they had all their possessions, so they were, they were very giving, um, and they shared their possessions, and they were committed to each other. Another reinforcement of that. And what did the Lord do? Verse 47, added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. So Then comes chapter 3. Peter heals a lame man, a man that couldn't walk, and attracted a big crowd, and he preached. And then Acts 3, 25 through 26 you are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in you and in your offspring all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? So again, the gospel is meant for everybody, every society, every people, um, not respective of person or anything like that. Chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested while preaching and put into custody. Right? But many people heard and believed. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, they numbered 5,000 men alone, right? And so that's just the men. So when you think about women and children, you could easily imagine how this number could be 10, 12, 15,000 people at this point um, that started from this small body of 120 believers. And while they were in custody, they were told to stop teaching um, and speaking the name of Jesus, but they refused and they were ultimately released. They went back and told the believers, they prayed for boldness and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so this is what brings us into the passages that we're really going to kind of examine and cover today. Um, You know, the preceding chapters were, were, I think, pretty apparent, how they talked about the growth of the church, um, how the heart is for everybody, and um, kind of goes through some of how the Christians at this time loved each other. And brings us to our first point, um, that communities are committed. They were committed to the gospel and committed to each other as well. So starting in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. Make sure everybody's there. So now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So going back um, to verse 32, I want to highlight a couple things there. It um, starts by saying, Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And so we know that when you have you know, over 10,000 people, they're not all the same person, right? <laughs> so in <laughs> order, but, but it's kind of amazing that the, that the Bible described them as, as one heart. And of one soul, and so that that's a description of what somebody believes in, in their heart, right? Um, you can't You can't see one heart and one soul. I can't look at somebody and say, me and Craig, we believe with one heart and one soul. You can't see that, but that's the description that was used in the Bible to describe this this group of people that numbered I would say at least ten thousand. But the part that was that's pretty interesting too is is, is following that. Um, it said that no one said of any of the things that belonged to him was his own, and so those were actions that testified to their belief. right They believed with one heart and one soul, but they said that the, they said that any of the things that belonged to them was not his own, but they had everything in common. and so they were bonded together with their beliefs, but their actions backed it up, right, right. so um, I think that that's a, a pretty strong charge to us if. if 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 there is something that we believe, our actions should flow from our belief, and if they don't, um, we need to examine our belief. Right? So verses thirty three through thirty six um, begin to kind of expand on the the church body itself. So the church body was meet, was working to meet the needs of their community. It said that no one um, no one was in need, and they started even selling their possessions to meet those needs. And it's something that wasn't done out of compulsion. It wasn't something that they had to do. It wasn't something that that was um, mandated, but they did it. Um, One, because of the the transformative message of Christ and his message um, that really just worked in their hearts and changed this group of people. And so reading into this, of course, it's hard to believe that they didn't have a genuine love for each other. Um, But they also looked out for each other's interest, their well-being, and they sacrifice for one another. And the work described here was, wasn't just the work of the apostles, right? Um, it's, it's not just the work of the church leader, um, but it was the work of the body of everyone there that makes this happen. And so you can see in this community, um, they were committed to the gospel, but they were also committed to each other. Which leads us into our second point. Even though communities, um, you know, communities can have problems, and, they can have, and, and people can break their word, um, even in this community where you see that there is just this great love that they have for each other, um, they still had to deal with sin. They still had to deal with hypocrites in the church. Um, all the things that we continue to see today in the church, right? And so you enter Ananias and Sapphira. And the name Ananias, which is pretty interesting, means that Yahweh has been gracious. (laughs) And so we'll start um, by reading Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God? And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. So these are the, these are the, the verses that are immediately preceding <laughs> right? the fact that this group loved each other. Um, and then you know, going back to, to verse 2 real quick, um, where it talks about how Ananias keeps back part of the money for himself. Um, the, when the Bible refers to this, it means that he kept it back in a dishonest way. It's not that he didn't give it all, but he kept it back in a dishonest way, saying that he did, but, but he didn't. And then going on to verse 3, um, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your, your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Um, and I thought this was pretty interesting, because this is actually the first post-cross account that we see of Satan. Um, and this is since Jesus was crucified. Uh, you know, At the beginning of chapter 4, you know, I, I mentioned that Peter was arrested and told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And the Bible doesn't mention Satan then. But yet the Bible mentions um, Satan here, um, which I think is just, not that he wasn't there working in the midst then, but he mentioned Satan here specifically. Um, and, of course, Satan was committed to, to trying to destroy the church. He was committed to killing Jesus. Um, and that didn't work out too well for him. But now he was working in this area to, to destroy the church from within, going after its people. Um, and so there was someone, Ananias, who was on the appearance of doing the right thing, um, injected sin and hypocrisy into what he was doing. Um, and that was, you know, the work of Satan. I think that was pretty interesting. Moving on. Um, Past verse three, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the, keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have retrieved this deed in your heart? Have you you have not lied to man but to God? Um, so as we kind of said, Ananias sold his land voluntarily; he gave a portion of it voluntarily. But he lied about giving it all to the church and falsely presented the gift. Under no compulsion to, give, to, to say that, right? Nothing compelled him to have to give it all. So what was the point of him lying in the first place? You know, um, of course, when you read, this, read these passages, there were lots of people that were giving generously. Like Barnabas. They probably received a lot of praise and adulation for doing it. I mean, Barnabas was written in the Bible. He shows up a couple of, of later parts in, in, in Acts, um, but he probably wanted that praise of, of feeling like he's doing a good thing. However, he wanted the praise, but he didn't want to give it all. So he wanted the praise and he wanted his money at the same time. So what do you do? Just lie about it, tell him you give it all when you don't. But ultimately, the wages of sin is death, right? And and we're not exactly sure, scholars aren't sure exactly why he died in this instance. Um, you know, the church was described in earlier chapters as having great grace upon the church, so maybe it was a situation where God chose to remove this sin. Um, I don't know. But while it appeared to be a, a victimless crime, it wasn't. Um, and it actually influenced someone else's actions and, and who followed him in a sin as well. So we'll, we'll continue with Acts um, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. So after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So I know that we, um, you know, we often talk about a, a personal relationship with God. Um, and you know, my charge is that a personal relationship with God um, has a communal influence. Um, And in the same way, personal sin can have a a communal influence as well. It has an impact. You know, we know that ultimately Ananias kept the money back for himself, even though she knew about it and she was aware of it. But she was still held accountable for her her actions um, of her husband as she went with him into sin. Right. So a sin that could have just been his had the ultimate negative impact on his wife. And so we all have to take account for what we do. And I believe that this, this principle applies to you know, all spheres of influence that we're in. Um, one thing that's pretty interesting is as they were questioned, you know, the Bible just says the young men rose and carried them out as soon as they died. And so it's possible that this questioning wasn't just one-to-one by itself, but was in a group of people. Other people could have been around. Um, you know, the, the, the purpose of the lie in and of itself was meant to hide who they were or what they were doing, and yet they were questioned in front of people, but they didn't do the right thing. And so it's important that even when it's difficult that we have integrity um, and do the right thing even when it's difficult. And so people in communities, no matter how loving, how giving, committed to missions, committed to each other, right, people can let you down. And in the end, Jesus is the only perfect standard. So even the church, right after Jesus left, right? Jesus just left. This church is growing. It's exploding. Had people that professed one thing and did another. And so it's important for us to be rooted in Jesus and not in the faith of others. However, that doesn't mean that Christ didn't love his church. Christ loved his church. In Ephesians 5.25, he gave himself up for the church, right? And so the first point that I made, just to reiterate, um, you know, communities are committed, but the second point, communities can have problems and people that break their word. And the third point that, that we're going to go into is that even despite all those things, God still has a purpose and a plan for his church. All right? And so moving into Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So these verses that are talking about the signs and wonders and how people are healed, this immediately follows the story about Ananias and Sapphira, right? And that setback, that setback with hypocrites in the church, people that weren't doing the right thing. Because um, God still had a plan for his church, Verse 13, um, chapter 5, even if all the believers didn't join them, they were held in high esteem. They were respected for what they believed. Going back to what we talked about earlier um, at the beginning of chapter 4, they were bold, right? They prayed for boldness. So they were still going out and speaking with boldness, still carrying out the mission of, of the church. Verse 14, and more than... More than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. Right? So even after um, you had this hypocrite, somebody died, um, some people were scared to to follow some of the apostles out, Um, they were still reconciling people to God. Right? People were still being added to this church body. Verse 15 and 16. So even though they carried out the sick into the streets and lay them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So there was provision in the church. There was healing coming from the church. And the natural people had such great faith that just his shadow, right, was, co- was causing healing. I don't know if anybody's hopping under Pastor Stephen just so that his shadow <laughs> will fall under him, right? But that's just how much faith um, they had. And then verse 16, uh, they were bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. So there was restoration in the the spiritual realm as well, spiritual healing, healing from unclean spirits, right? And so the church was a place for for restoration, for reconciliation, both natural and, and spiritual. And despite having members like Ananias and Sapphira, knowing that the church wasn't perfect, knowing that the people aren't perfect, God still had a plan for this church. He still had a plan for his people. And I think that that's important to remember um you know, despite it all. That's where that's where God's heart <laughs> is. And so, you know, just kind of you know to 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 kind of wrap it up, um you know, the first point I made was that communities were committed. Um the early church was committed to the gospel, but they were also committed to each other. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves, at least rhetorically, right, um, is that what does that commitment um, in our community, what does that look like today? What does that look like in real terms? You know, um, are we individually and as a body, are we committed to each other? Are we committed to the work of the church? Out of that commitment, does it change what we do? Does it change what we think, how we act? Are any decisions... Um, that we make, are they affected by that? Because right. in the early church, I think it's pretty clear that they were. The second point, communities can have problems. People that break the word or act in a way that undermine that community. Right. So Ananias and Sapphira's sin, they could have undermined the church. They could have destroyed the church. People could have said, well, they're hypocrites. I'm done. I'm not coming back. But that doesn't mean that we, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Um, I know in our, you know, recently we've had I think uh, some interesting times dealing, you know, following the election. Um, and, and I've heard things in the church where, where, of course, there's great offense that comes from it, right? So people can easily say, well, support of Clinton, tacit abortion of of abortion rights, and that's just an affront to my faith. How can we really believe the same things? How can we actually be in community with each other? Look at Trump as well. Say, hey, he openly voiced prejudice against minorities and of women. How could you love, support, and be committed to the diversity of the church then? How could you love me? How can we be in community with these differences? But despite our differences, in the end, God has a plan for his church. Amen. Right? The church has a role and it has a place of natural and spiritual healing. I believe that. The church is a place for, re- for restoration and ultimately for reconciliation back to God. Amen? Amen? So I believe those things. That's you. That. Thank, you.
1: Thank you. You know, um, last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, Ella had a basketball game, and, and we went, and um, there was a team playing before. We were there a little bit early for pitchers, and so we, we sat on the bleachers just waiting for her team. And, and um, maybe it was halftime when, when her game was going on, but the next parents were coming in and getting seats, and this gentleman came and sat down. Beside, we were on the front row. It was me and then Carrie, then then Adam was playing her Kindle, and she came up out of her her zone in her Kindle, and she just laughed for a second. And I'm like, why is she laughing? And she's like, Mom, look, that dude took off his shoes. I don't know if she said dude or not, but it was it was an Indian gentleman, and he had just taken off his shoes and was sitting on the floor, and. It just looked strange in American culture. Is this not something you do in American culture at a public event? Um, take off your shoes and have you know khaki pants on, and and I was kind of like looking at it, thinking, "Wow, why would he do that?" But it's culture, you know. It's 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 differences that that we all have in our lives. And where we come from. And you know, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, just in the early church, the Jew and the Gentile, That in, it, within the, the Jewish culture, there were a number of different um, sects, a number of different uh, groups within Jewish culture. And then the Gentile culture, you have everyone else, um, which is Ethiopian eunuch to a Roman centurion to, to men and women. It's, it's such diversity is there. But the, the reality is the church was committed to the church. Um, and we've always said there is no perfect church. The the bride of Christ um, has imperfections, but He presents the bride as perfect through the blood of Christ. It means we're still growing. We're being transformed day by day, but there's going to be issues in the church. There's going to be problems. The, you know, I was talking to. Someone this week, um, the other on Friday, and, and he was talking about um, a, a church that they, him and his family has been going to, and he said it's interesting because it's a much larger church, it's four or five hundred people or maybe a thousand. He said the pastor was talking about some of the politics of the church, and he started asking me some questions, and I said, you know, every church is going to have certain things going on, good, bad, you know, things that where they need to grow and so forth, but yet God still loves the bride. And God still wants to use the church in our imperfections, in our differences, to spread the gospel going forward. And, and you know, we see a glimpse of that when we, here in Greensboro. It's a very diverse city. Um, you, if you've traveled, you've seen it. You know traveling internationally, you've seen it as well. And that's really, there's a lot of excitement with that, I think, just that God wants to use men and women from different places, different backgrounds, different cultures, different experiences with Him. To share his gospel with others, and such a great responsibility we have, but but such a privilege as well, and and that's the beauty. I I you know think of this church, um, a Piedmont International Church, the diversity that we have, people from various backgrounds, um, but how God uses that, you know the 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 Queen's English really and. Um, and more County English, I guess, <laughs> how, how God uses that and, and brings it all together. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how God wants to use us. And that's kind of that last part, that, that signs and wonders continue to go forth in the church despite problems, despite the imperfections. And, and that's, that's the faith to me is, is where God wants to use us, P International Church, but also the Big C Church. To continue to press forward and, and to advance the gospel, you know, ministries that that, that exist in the church and outside the church, that we still have that charge to take the gospels to the end of the earth, to the end of the world, and see what God does in, in the midst of that. And so it's a great charge we have, and it's an excitement that we have. And I want to encourage us to do that. You know, sometimes we can we can kind of get into our daily habits, you know, sometimes Christmas season, it changes what we do habit-wise for the good and also for the bad. But, but sometimes we just need to stop for a minute and say, okay, I'm going to work every day. Why am I going to work? And to say, okay, God, use me. God, how can I be light in the workplace? Or as, as you're out and about shopping or, or in your neighborhood, but God does want to use us. Um, yes, there's those imperfections that, that certainly exist in the church, but, it, but it's really, really cool how God works through us. Um, You know, a couple of notes I just wanted to share beyond that is community doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, there is no perfect community. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If we could be that Acts 2 church, 42 through 47, and everyone meeting, sharing food, and and praying, man, that would be great, but there are issues and there are differences Therefore, there's going to be ups and downs. Therefore, there is a spiritual battle that takes place as well. Satan is in it, and that's why he calls us to stand firm and to continue to fight the good fight of faith and to fight for unity. We have our differences here. We, that's obvious. We've talked about that, um, especially over the last few weeks we've talked about it. But God wants to use all those differences to advance his kingdom and to really help us understand more about each other but also more about him. And so, to me, that's the charge as we go forth is, Lord, how are you going to use me and God? How are you going to use us as a church to advance your kingdom, to be ministers of reconciliation in so many different levels? We're talking about race reconciliation, salvation reconciliation. There's all those different levels that God's calling us to. And so the question I kind of pose back, that rhetorical question, but but really a reflective question is, is, where's God using me? How's God using me? Not just to go through the motions, not just to kind of say, okay, I went to church, I did this, this, and this, but God, how are you using me? And we've talked about this off and on throughout the year too, the boldness that's there to step out of the boat and to share faith, to love others, to love those that are not like us, to stop and take time, to be intentional. All those things kind of have have kind of coming together as we close out the year and as we come into 2017 as well. And so... um, So it's a great challenge, but also a great privilege to be used by God. And and the thing that um, Brandon said in the beginning, you know, 120 people, you've heard me say that before, 120 people changed the world. Gideon, who being the smallest of of his clan in in terms of strength and power, God said, mighty warrior, and and he delivered Israel. Mary, a 13, 14-year-old young lady, um, women in culture wasn't considered very highly honored, God worked through her, and, and she's honored. We still talk about her. She's honored. She's highly favored before the Lord. And in so many other instances throughout the Bible that we see it. And so, you know, God wants to use us. You know, whether you're, you're 12 years old, or whether you're, you're 112 years old, or somewhere in between, God wants to use us. And so know that God is calling you. Know that God is wanting to use you. Receive that, and let's see what God does um, as we finish out this year. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you um, for who you make us to be um, through your son. Thank you that that as we confess you as our Lord and as our savior, that Lord, you've set inside of us a purpose. You've set inside us a calling. And Lord, let us never shrink back from that. Let us never think that our calling as an individual is inferior to someone else's. Lord, I thank you how you describe the body in Corinthians. Every part, every piece coming together to walk in unison or to create this body that that operates in unison. And so, Lord, I thank you for each person here, whether you have them in the back room of of where they work, just, just serving and doing repetitive tasks all day. Lord, you're using that person. Lord, if you've got someone out front, visible and vocal and leading, Thank you that you're working through that person. Lord, thank you for the callings that are upon all of our lives. Thank you for the places that you have us. Thank you for the things that you're doing through us. Thank you for the church and how you're using your body to advance the kingdom. Lord, to you be the glory in the church. Lord, let us not to to shy away from the church. Thank you, Lord, that you present your bride as blameless and as pure. Thank you that you've called us to be your saw and your light. Thank you that we're your ambassadors. And Lord, I pray that in this season of Advent, of preparing our hearts, Lord, that you prepare us not just to receive you as your birth coming into this world, but even as talked about earlier, the second coming of you. But also prepare us for greater things that you've called us to. Lord, I pray for those dreams that maybe we've put in the closet or maybe we've put to the side because it's not convenient or it's not the right time. Lord, breathe life into those. Lord, thank you that you breathe life into dry bones. And Lord, you're raising up an army, an army of believers to take your purpose, to take your gospel into this world. And just as we share from Isaiah, Lord, here we are, use us. Speak through us, work through us. Lord, teach us to love people in greater ways, to see them as as you see them, to help us see ourselves as you see us. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. May our words and our actions bring you highest praise and highest honor. Lord, I pray you lift our chins up to to rejoice because we know that that joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So may your joy be ever present in our hearts.